The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. This is Andy. Andy's our drummer back there, and uh, I just want to introduce you guys week to, uh, on occasion to some of our worship team members because you don't get to meet them. So uh, welcome Andy Blair to the stage up here at TVC. Andy, tell us a little bit about where you're from and how you got here, brother. Uh, okay, I'm from the, the glorious little island of Northern Ireland. and uh, That's I really... not a Texas accent at all, is no, it? No, yeah. no. no. <laughs> but uh, I came here uh, because I married a girl from this church, and she's sitting right down here. Yeah, Jill there you go. He, uh... <laughs> Jillian Cruz, young lady who grew up at TBC. Her uh, folks are Skip and Lori, and uh, you snagged her, swooned her, and married her. Is that right? You say in Give or take. Window. Give or take. Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. Tell us a little bit of your story, Andy. How did you come to know Jesus and a little bit of your background? Uh, a little bit of my background. Basically, uh, I grew up in a Christian home, but I kind of did my own little thing for a while. Uh, went to clubs, pubs, bars, all that stuff. Um, and then when I was 19, I went to the same Bible week thing that I have done since I was a kid. And uh, in, in there in that week, God just said to me, it was right enough, you're going to do it my way now, so let's roll. Amen. That's the way to do it. And uh, you, uh, you guys met and then were separated a long time by water and, yeah. and visas and all that stuff. Tell us a little bit of that story because it's pretty interesting. That, that was a little bit of a disaster for a while, but we got it sorted out. So uh, the first couple of years of our relationship, we spent pretty much apart. Before we got married, I think we spent about 16 weeks together. Yeah. And uh, after that, we lived the first four months of our marriage separate. And uh, then Jill came to be with me in Belfast for a year. Cool. So they're back with us in the last year and are now part of our body uh, and have delighted in that. Tell us what Jesus means to you, brother. Tell us about that. Uh, Jesus is uh, hes just the center of my life. Um, it, it doesn't really matter where you, where you came from, what your history is, where you are today, um, because... You know, if you believe in him, you're going to be with him in eternity, and that's all that matters. Amen. That's what matters. I told Andy one of the reasons I thought about him is because uh, somebody sent me a deal. You guys watching the Olympics? Somebody sent me a thing on the Olympics and said uh, there was a Scotsman, an Englishman, an Irishman trying to get tickets to the Olympics, and they couldn't get it. And so uh, what happened is a Scotsman went out, picked up a manhole cover, and uh, he walked up to the gate and said, McTavish, Scotland, discus, and he walked right in, and they let him in. That was pretty cool. Then there was an English guy named Smythe, and uh, he found a long piece of scaffolding that looked like a pole. He came to the gate, and he said, Smythe, England, pole vaulting, and they let him right in the gate, and he walked in. And then this Irishman came up, one of your kin, and uh, he picked up a roll of bobbed wire, tucked it under his arm, and said, O'Malley, Ireland, fencing. He's still waiting to get in, brother, so that's a a problem. That's a problem. Andy loves Jesus, honors Jesus, and uh, wants to do that in the music that he plays for us. 
Uh, if you look in the bulletin, two inserts, the teal insert I shared with you last week. TBC continues to be blessed of God. Just take a look around the room this morning. It's the uh, it's summer days, dog days of summer. We've added 150 chairs to the auditorium, and uh, last hour was as full, if not fuller, than this hour. And so God continues to bring his folks to impact with the gospel, including those folks are 550 kids from nursery through fourth grade every Sunday. And so it's a great privilege and a great honor to lead the next generation to Jesus and to see them grow up in Jesus. And uh, we need you to help us with that. So on the red insert, it's an opportunity to serve all three hours in that area. As you know, we're trying to move more folks. We're asking you to consider moving to the 815 hour or to serve at the 815 hour, attend the 815 hour. Normally this hour, we pick up another two to 300 college kids once school starts back. So we are blessed beyond belief. We give praise to God for that. To him be the glory. If you look on the back of the bulletin, it shows giving for the month. And uh, there were five Sundays last month. Preachers love five Sunday months because you get five Sundays of giving that month. And uh, God has blessed us in that area as well. We're looking at expanding parking across the street, looking at building a building in the back uh, to alleviate some of the crowding and also to be able to continue to expand the ministry God has called us to do. So uh, take a look at that, read that, consider how you might serve the Savior in our body. If you have your Bibles, you open to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, we're going to look at the topic of worship. Shipwrecked has been our series all summer long. We've said that if you don't understand sound doctrine, then you can be shipwrecked like Alexander and Hymenus were shipwrecked in 1 Timothy chapter 1. This morning, in awe of our captain. That's what worship is about, being in awe of our captain. We'll see if we have a video that works this hour. It didn't work last hour. We'll see if it works.
Father, that's our desire as we look in the Word, that you would be elevated above all, that you would be the object of our worship, that you would cause us to lay aside ourselves the distractions of life, to focus on you, and not just on Sunday mornings, Father, but every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Understanding sound doctrine should result in worship. I've had a number of you ask me over the last month, so Gary, what's the point of going through doctrine in the summer? And there, there are a number of reasons we did it. First of all, we want to make sure we understand sound doctrine because we don't want to be washed back and forth like the waves of the sea, and we desire to know what truth is. But most importantly, sound doctrine leads to worship. When you understand the nature of the Father, when you understand His goodness, you understand His love, you understand His mercy, you understand His grace, you can't help but worship Him. And when you look at Christology and study Jesus and you see the Son of God, the Lamb of God, who gave His life on our behalf, you can't help but come to Him and worship Him. And when you study pneumatology, the the Holy Spirit, and you realize the Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, has chosen to indwell believers and to convict us and to guide us into all truth, you can't help but fall on your face and worship. And when you study the hope of heaven and you study the the, the future days and, and the end times, hopefully it drives us to worship to recognize that our sovereign God is in control of the events of the world. And we worship. You see, sound doctrine should lead to worship. When we understand the truth of the scripture and the one who is the truth, we should humbly fall at his feet and worship him. And so we close our series by focusing upon worship. The overflow of an understanding of sound doctrine should be worship. So the question we have to ask ourselves is what is true worship? What is true worship? In heaven one day, when we serve the Savior, we're not going to do evangelism because it's only believers, and we're not going to do discipleship and mentoring and shepherding, but we will worship. And so if we will be worshiping, it only behooves us to understand what true worship is. True worship is much more than what takes place on Sunday morning at 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock at TBC or any other church. Indeed, this is corporate worship. That's a good thing. In fact, in the book of Hebrews, it says that we are not to forsake the gathering together as a habit of some. We need to be involved in corporate worship. It allows us to submit to the Father, submit to a body of leaders. It encourages us to come jointly together to join our voices in worshiping God, to hear the word of God taught, and to respond in worship. But it's much more than that. It's more than just celebration. It's more than just consolation. It's more than saying we really worship today. It's more than liturgy. It's more than ritual. In fact, it's all about heart. Linda Dillow, in her book, Satisfied My Thirsty Soul, says worship is not just a specific act. It's a lifestyle. Worship is a specific act of bowing my knees and declaring holy, holy, holy. Worship is also a lifestyle of bowing my life and living holy, holy, holy. You see, worship is not something that occurs just one hour on Sunday morning, but worship is us living our life with God as the center point, as the fulcrum, as the center of everything that we do. When we do that, we worship God. When we do everything to his glory, we worship God. The word worship means to make heavy or to give weight to. When we make God heavy, when we give weight to God, when we honor God, we are worshiping God. When he is the focal point of all that we are or have. Bev is writing a book, as some of you know, some of you ladies have been in a study in the book that she's writing, and it's on worship, and it's called A Pathway from Brokenness to Worship. 
And in that book she writes, worship is different from prayers or petition where we ask God to do something for someone, either for us or for someone else. It's also different from prayers or thanksgiving where we focus on what he has done for us. In worship, we simply adore God by focusing on who he truly is. These insightful words from A.P. Gibbs help me understand this more clearly. In prayer, we're occupied with our needs. In thanksgiving, we're occupied with our blessings. In worship, we're occupied with God himself. Worship is when we come before the Father and we're occupied with him. When we give him praise, when we give him thanksgiving, we give him honor, when, when we come not just to ask, but when we come to give. Worship is when we sing songs and he is the object and not us. The, the, when we sing songs and it's not the worship team that's the object, but it's him. That's what worship is about. It's about making him heavy. In Revelation 4.11 it says, You created everything and it was your pleasure that they exist and were created. We exist and were created to honor God, to glorify God, to worship God. That's why we are here. So sound doctrine should lead us to rightful worship. When we understand the Father, we understand the Son, we understand the Spirit, we understand the Word, that should happen. If you look in the bulletin, I understand we ran out of bulletins, we'll print more. Next week, uh, there's an acrostic there. What is true worship? What is true worship? Worship, first of all, is wonder and amazement. It's not just a church service. It's wonder and amazement. It's not just a church service. Certainly a church service is a time when we come together to worship, but it's way more than that. Sunday morning corporate worship is just a small part of a heart that worships God. A worshiping heart worships in the office, it worships in the ball field, it worships in the kitchen, it worships on the couch, it worships in the surgery theater, it worships in the sunset, as you look at a sunset, it worships as you look at the body, it worships as you look at someone else. You recognize that God is the creator of all that's there and you give praise to him. Last week we're coming back, we brought our uh, two little germ factories back to their parents. Appreciate your prayers last week, feeling much better. But we brought them back to their parents to hook up with the others. On the way back, we're traveling in this direction from College Station. And as we're traveling, it's the most marvelous sunset you've ever seen. And as we're traveling, Bev just broke out and praising God, thanking God. and, And I did the same. And it was just a matter of giving God praise for what he has done. That That's worship. Worship is looking at a sunset and praising the Creator. Worship is looking at the mountains and saying, wow, look at what God has done. Worship is looking at a fellow believer and saying, I thank God for that brother or sister. Worship is being consumed with him in the midst of all he has. In Luke chapter 8, we see the disciples filled with wonder and amazement. Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 22, it says, It came about in one of those days that he and his disciples got out of the boat, and he said to them, Let's go to the other side of the lake, and they launched out. They're in the Sea of Galilee. They head across the Sea of Galilee. As they were sailing along, Jesus fell asleep. While he was sleeping, a fierce gale of wind descended upon the lake, and they began to be swamped and were in danger. If you've ever been in a boat that's being swamped, you know that can be a fearful thing. I'll never forget the fourth summer I worked offshore out of four summers. We're headed back from our first hitch offshore, and we hit a summer storm that was unbelievable. We're bouncing like a top in the midst of the water. When you're up high on the crest of that wave, you couldn't even see the, the Gulf of Mexico below you. And when we were down, it was like the whole ocean was breaking over that boat. I watched a guy tie himself up with a rope, go out the back door, and just hang on for dear life because he, he, he was so sick. And, and if you've ever been in a situation like that, you know what it is. It's fearful. And so they woke Jesus up. They wake him up. Picture that scene. Twelve faithless, fearful eyes staring at Jesus. And they said, Master, Master, we're dying. What's Jesus doing? 
sound asleep. Sleep like a bunch of you guys out there. <clears throat> and being aroused, he rebuked the wind and the waves, and they stopped, and it became calm. I, I mean, it's amazing. The disciples are filled with fear because, and remind you, most of these guys are fishermen, and they're filled with fear. The storm comes on the Sea of Galilee. They're about to be swamped. They're about to go under. They awake Jesus, and, and then they're filled with even more fear. Because what Jesus does, he takes the mane of the wind and the waves, these twins that are acting up, and he says, shh, boys, it's time to be quiet. And immediately, they were calmed. And Jesus looked at the disciples and said, where's your faith? Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm one of the disciples, I'm thinking, man, Jesus, why are you so hard on us right here? I mean, we're in the midst of a storm. What Jesus is saying, didn't you see what I just did back on the shore? Didn't you just see the people who couldn't walk and nail kin, the people who couldn't see and nail see, the people who didn't eat and we fed them? Don't, don't you remember that, boys? Where's your faith? Boys, don't you know who holds the sea in his hand? And then they looked at one another and they were filled with fear and amazement. <clears throat> and they said, who is this that commands even the winds and the water? And they obey him. They were filled with wonder and awe. When the last time you've been filled with wonder and awe when you've thought of God? The last time when your heart skipped a beat and said, wow, look at our Father. The last time your heart skipped a beat and said, gosh, look at what God's done. About four weeks ago, the message was on hell. If you were here, you remember that message. I went back to my office, closed the door, and said, wow, what a God. We had four people come to faith in Jesus that Sunday. Four people said, I, I don't want to head to that place, that dreadful place you talked about. I'm ready for Jesus to be my Savior. Four people. And I'm telling you guys, that's awe and that's wonder. Because you recognize only the God of the universe, the Spirit of God, can transform a hardened heart and turn it into a heart that's been transformed to His glory. When's the last time you've been moved to awe and wonder? Last time you just broke out in song and said, to God be the glory, great things he's done. The last time you just took your wife's hand, your husband's hand, and said, let's just praise God for what we see. That's what worship is. Worship is ascribing, ascribing worth to him filled with wonder and amazement. Worship is offering ourselves, not just our sacrifices. Worship is offering ourselves and not just our sacrifice. In the book of 1 Samuel, an order has gone out for the nation of Israel to kill all the Amalekites, but they don't do it. In fact, Saul spares the choicest of the sacrifices, and he says, I'm going to give these to God. And you might think that's a noble thing, except Samuel the prophet comes on the scene speaking for God, and he says, As the Lord has as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices in obeying him. Better to obey is better than the sacrifice. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. He's saying what God wants is a heart of obedience. That worship takes place in a heart that is willing to obey him, a heart that is willing to follow him. Not a heart that is just willing to say, here's my sacrifice for the week. Here's my Sunday morning for the week. Here's my, you fill in the blank, my tithes for the week. He's saying, what I desire more than anything else is a heart that will beat and follow after me. He says much the same thing in the book of Micah. 
with what he's condemning the nation of Israel because they are worshiping out of ritual, not relationship. That's the next point, by the way. With what shall I come to the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come to him with burnt offerings, with yearling calves? Does the Lord take delight in thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of oil? Do we just keep coming to worship over and over and give him all these gifts? Is that what God wants? He says, shall I present my firstborn for my rebellious act? Shall I even sacrifice my kid? Shall I sacrifice the fruit of my body for my sins? Is this what God wants? No. He's told you, old man, what's good and what the Lord requires of you. To do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly before your God. You see, what that means is he wants people who come with a heart. He wants folks whose hearts will follow after him. He wants folks whose hearts are knit to him. And that's why worship is offering ourselves and not just our sacrifices. What goes hand in hand with that is the fact that we can lose our passion. In Revelation 2.4, John is writing the Revelation, and he's writing to the church. It's the church at Ephesus. He says, this I have against you. Jesus is speaking. You have left your first love. You've left your first love. Your passion is gone. It's like a marriage. If you don't care for a marriage, your passion is gone, and you end up gone through the motions, and you end up really being roommates rather than soulmates. You end up sharing a checkbook. You end up sharing a house. You end up sharing kids, but you don't share passion. And things grow cold, and things grow stale, and things are not the way they should be. It's kind of like uh, folks celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary, grandpappy and grandma discussing the 50th wedding anniversary, and uh, he said, shall I kill a chicken tonight? And Grandma said, no, nah, why blame a bird for something that happened 50 years ago? <laughs> That's a marriage grown cold. Hey, it can happen to you, it can happen to me, it can happen in our relationship with the living God. It can happen in that relationship. In fact, in the in Revelation, the church of Laodicea, he says, I know your deeds. I know, where, I know that you're not cold, you're not hot. I wish you were cold or hot because you're lukewarm, not hot or cold. Literally, he says, I will vomit you out of my mouth. I, I wish you'd get serious. I wish you'd get serious. Worship me, honor me, love me. I'm looking for a relationship, not just a ritual. I'm looking for relationship, not just a ritual. Jot down Isaiah chapter 1, take a look at it later. In Isaiah 1, it talks about the fact that the nation was showing up to worship week after week. They're bringing their sacrifices. Everything's in tow externally. Everything looked great, but internally they were bankrupt. They were bankrupt. In fact, as you read in the book of Isaiah, it's an impassioned plea to forsake the ways of the world and pursue God. Sound familiar? In fact, in Isaiah 1, he says, Come, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they'll be as white as snow. He said, When you come to worship, come to worship to get right with me. Come to get right with me. And some of you are saying, Me and Gary, that's us. We look great on the outside. We look like one big happy family, but we're dying on the inside. If you could hear the way we talk to one another, you'd be appalled. If you could see the displays of anger, you wouldn't believe it. If you saw the priorities in our life, if you saw what I do on my computer, you wouldn't believe it. We are barely hanging on. You're kind of like this guy, barely hanging on. I mean, you are barely, I want to say, fall, fall, fall. No, I don't want to say that. But let's face it, some of you are barely hanging on, aren't you? 
You're barely hanging on. So I've got a marriage problem. I've got an alcohol problem. I've got an addiction problem. No, you don't. You've got a worship problem. You've got a worship problem. You see, if the Lord is on his throne in your life and you're worshiping him, then things in your marriage will begin to work out. Because your focus will be upon him and not yourself. We get a lot of people come to TBC, when can we sign up for the next marriage class, next finance class, next parenting class? We want the how-tos, and we're going to offer those classes because they're important. But I'm going to tell you, for the majority of folks that I deal with, the issue is a worship issue. We worship the wrong things. We worship ourself. We worship self-control. We think we want to be in control. When we're not, we get mad at God. We worship alcohol. I say, Gary, I don't worship alcohol. It's not an idol in my life, really. You're willing to lose your family, willing to lose your job, willing to lose. That's an idol. Uh, Sexual addictions, it's an idol. If you're willing to risk losing the marriage that you have to be able to sneak a peek at night, that's an idol. And you don't always pick on guys. Let me pick on you ladies a little bit. You know, if you feel like you get to go read Fifty Shades of Grey or go see Magic Mike, you know what I'm talking about, ladies? Is it Magic Mike? What's the name of it? Got to know, that's it? You tell me why a godly woman would want to do either one of those. You tell me. Why would a they're all somebody looking around and saying, what's magic, Mike? What's 50 shades? I'm glad you're asking that question, actually. Why would a godly woman read 50 shades of gray, go see Magic Mike, and post it on Facebook like she's bragging? Wow. I pick on guys all the time. I nail guys all the time. Ladies, what about you? If you're worshiping God, you're not going to be doing that kind of stuff. If God's on the throne of your life, that's not where you're going to be. If God's on the throne of your life, your finances are going to be in order. You know why? Because you want to do everything in order. You want to do everything to honor him. And you should be able to say, this is my checkbook. Not that you're going to let the right hand know what the left is doing. But you should be one who honors God with everything he's given you. When your worship is right, when your worship is right, when you're worshiping God rightly, It's amazing what happens in our life because he becomes the focal point and not us. And so it's way more than a ritual, it's a relationship. Isaiah says, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is made up only of rules taught by men. See, when you've got to worship, say, worship for me is, you know, I've got to have this, this, and this, and then I can only worship. Really? You should be able to worship on the beach. You should be able to worship in the mountains. You should be able to worship in a church. You should be able to worship inside, outside. You should be able to worship on your knees. You should be able to worship standing up. You should be able to worship. It doesn't matter. Posture doesn't matter. Geography doesn't matter. In fact, you remember the woman at the well? Jesus comes up, and he's ready for a drink. He asks her to get him a drink, and she's surprised because she says, "Uh, what are you doing talking to me? I'm a Samaritan. You're a man. I'm a woman. And he's talking to her. She's astounded that he's even talking to her. And then Jesus begins to point some simple things out in her life. He says, first of all, if you knew who it was asking you for a drink, you would ask, you would, asking you for a drink, you would ask me for a drink because I have water where you'll never have to drink again. And she says, I'm all about that. I'm tired of coming to the well. Give me the water so I to drink anymore. He says, no, I'm talking about living water. And she immediately, he looks at her and says, by the way, the man you're living with, and all of a sudden he gets personal. You remember what she does? She kind of diverts the attention. She says, uh, our people believe the Samaritans were to worship over here. Your people over there, who's right? 
And so she asked this theological question to divert the attention away from herself and her sinfulness. And the reality of it is that she was not willing to live a life in obedience to him. But what, she, what Jesus says to her, there comes a time when those who worship, worship how? In spirit and in truth. Doesn't matter where you worship. Doesn't matter the posture of your worship. What matters is what's on the inside. And that was his answer to this woman. Worship is surrender, not self. Worship is surrender, not self. Romans 12, 1 and 2 bears this out perhaps more than any other passage. I like the way the NIV reads. It says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is true and proper worship. Do you hear what he's saying there? He's saying, you want to worship? You really want to worship God? Here's what you do. You offer yourself upon the altar every day. Joe Stoll says in his book on, uh, on, on spiritual life, he says the biggest problem with living sacrifices is they always crawl off the altar. And he's right. He says, you want to worship God. It's not about music. It's not about you. It's, not about, it's all about presenting yourself every single day to him. That's true worship. God, today I want to be your man to live for you. I want to be your woman to live for you. God, I place myself upon the altar. I, I am clay in the hands of the potter. Mold me and make me and use me as you desire. Most mornings I pray, God, I desire to be your ambassador to represent you well this day so you might receive honor and glory through my life. That's my prayer almost every day. God, I, I, want, I want my life to be a life of a worshiper to be a worshiper. Surrender. Larry Crabb says, I must surrender my fascination with myself to a more worthy preoccupation with the character and purpose of God. I am not the point he is. I exist for him. He does not exist for me. You see, it's real easy to love ourselves and to be consumed with ourselves, to understand ourselves, to want to know more about ourselves, to want peace, to want personal fluence, to want comfort, and our focus is ourself rather than the living God. True worship is about heart, not art. It's about heart, not art. I love art. Art's a good thing. But the reality of it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the art of a building looks like because there are a lot of great cathedrals. If you go to Europe, there are great cathedrals there. There's a whole lot of art. And you know what happens in those cathedrals? During the week, you pay to go see. You get, pay to get in. You see beautiful artwork. And you spend a lot of money. And, uh, and there are people bustling through there. But if you happen to be there on a Sunday, you get in free, there's nobody there, and you see the same artwork. There are museums during the week, and there are mausoleums on the weekend. Because they get mixed up. They thought it was about art, but it's about heart. And worship is all about your heart. It's a right posture before God. Worship is not a part of your life. Worship is your life. Worship is not a part of your life. Worship is your life. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall occasionally dwell in my mouth. Is that what the scriptures say? No. Worship him occasionally. Continually. Scriptures say praise him from sunrise to sunset. Worship. Worship is pure and simple. If you were part of TBC when we met in what's now the chapel across the hallway, when we were facing kind of the direction we are now, you would sit facing this way and we were here. Every Sunday to my right during the time of worship was Jared. 
Jared was a little boy with Down syndrome. Do you remember Jared? Jared was this precious little guy. He was about five or six years old. And Jared would be there, and before the service, he'd be hopping around with his mom. And by the way, Jared just finished high school. Pretty amazing story. I got an email from his mom recently. But we'd watch Jared. Then all of a sudden, the band would strike up. And little Jared would come to almost full attention. His eyes would be focused on Bobby and the worship team. Then he'd watch little Jared once in a while just raise his hand like that in worship. Now, I, I don't know how much of that that young boy understood. But I can tell you on many occasions I sat there with tear in my, tears in my eyes thinking that's pure and unadulterated worship. A little Down syndrome boy loving God and worshiping as best as he could. That's it. It's all about our heart continually giving him praise. Finally, worship is passionate, not passive. It's passionate, not passive. In Psalm 150, it talks about how we're to worship like the nation of Israel. It's to be passionate worship. It says, if we can find it, there it is. It says this, praise the Lord, praise God in the sanctuary, praise him in his mighty expanse, praise him in his mighty deeds, praise him according to his excellent greatness, praise him with trumpet, praise him with harp, praise him with lyre, praise him with timbrel, praise him with dancing, praise him with string instruments, praise him with pipes, praise him with cymbals, praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Worship us to be passionate. Some of you, you know, Gary, I'm Czech, I'm German, I'm not real demonstrative, you know? Not at all passionate. Yeah, you are. Yeah, you are. I've watched you get passionate. I've watched you talk about your grandkids. I've watched you talk about your kids. I've watched you get excited about September 1st, guys. What happened September 1st? You see that dove hunting season? All the women said it, not the guys. And then what happens in mid-November? What happens then, guys? Deer season, most of you be gone. A bunch of you be gone. Then you're passionate. You're already thinking about, you know, feeders and stands and everything else. You're passionate. And if I engage you in conversation, you begin to talk about that stuff. For some of you, it's a stock market. I ask you, how the financial things going, man? You'll begin to chatter at 90 to nothing. For for some of you ladies, it may be asking about your grandkids, maybe asking about your hobby, maybe asking about the next red apple sale. I mean, no, it's the it's the no tax sale coming up in two weeks, right, ladies? I mean, you're already planning where you're going to be, what you're going to get, and where you going to go. I, I've watched it. I got trampled in that store in Dallas. What was the name of that store? Sam Moons. I got trampled in Sam Moons one time by passionate women. I'm going to tell you, I've never seen anything like that in my life and I'll never go back. <laughs> You're passionate about something. Tw- you know what happens 27 days from now? 27 days from today, LSU North Texas, first game of the season. <laughs> Hey, we're all passionate about something, aren't we? I mean, we, are, we, we get excited about something. I've watched you scream and holler at ball games, get passionate, get passionate about worshiping the Savior. He's done way more for you than Foley's will ever do. Passionate about the Savior. Sound doctrine results in a heart of worship by having a heart that is grateful to God. Grateful to God. Worship team, would you guys come up? I want to conclude our time of studying worship by worshiping. That's novel, isn't it? I mean, it's only appropriate that when you talk about worship, we should worship and we should be involved in it. And worship for us is being in the Word. Worship for us is also music. And one of my fears is we can become passe in worship. You guys have been watching the Olympics? 
been watching the Olympics. I've been watching it. I've enjoyed it, gotten hooked on it. And uh, a couple of nights ago when the women's gymnastics team was on, during the day I make sure when I get online or I'm on the radio, I, I don't want to see who's won. I want to be, at the end of the day, I want to see it live or, you know, the type of what looks live. And so uh, it, it, it was sports heaven this week for me because the Olympics are on on, uh, on my TV dish on Channel 8, and then on 416 was the Rangers playing the Angels, and I'm a big Rangers fan, and so I've got one button I have to hit, recall. I can go back and forth, man. It's a wonderful thing. Just back and forth, the Rangers and the Olympics. Bev was out of town a couple of days. I'm home alone. It was a great day. I mean, it was just a great day. Not because she wasn't there, that's not what I'm saying. But I'm back and forth. How did that come? That didn't come out right. Anyway, she's gone again, so you can't tell her. It doesn't matter. So we're going back. I'm going back and forth, and uh, it's getting exciting. Remember, the girls are kind of ramping up, and it looks like they may win a medal, and we had no idea they'd win a gold medal. And as we're ramping up, the Rangers game got over early. And so now I'm decided, okay, what am I going to watch on the other channel? I've got the Olympics, and I'm going to go from my side to side. I'm going to watch opera. I'm a cultured kind of guy, so I'm going to watch... Yeah, right. <laughs> then I'm going to watch Swamp People, my people I grew up with and stuff. <laughs> I decided I'm going to watch SportsCenter. And uh, so I'm at the Olympics, and I go to SportsCenter. And I forgot at the bottom of SportsCenter is a crawler. And the crawler comes on, breaking news, U.S. girls win gold. I want to take my thing and throw it. I wasn't that mad. I was just, you know. But at the same time, it kind of, when I went back to the Olympics, I mean, it wasn't quite as exciting. But when there was a little bit of a stumble, I still knew who was going to win. And when there was a little bit of a bumble, you still knew who was going to win. And when, when the Ukrainian girls didn't do quite as well, or the Russian girls or Chinese girls, you're thinking, eh, you're not going to win. And you looked at that, and it kind of took the edge off. Here's my fear. You walk with God 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. Worship, that's something we do together. Versus worship, that's what I do every day, all day, because of my God. Father, that's our prayer. That worship is something we would do all day, every day because of you. Maybe you've got an idol in your life you need to get rid of. Something separating you from the living God. Or maybe you're just distant from him right now. Before you worship in song, come get on your knees down here and get right with God. If you're far from him or maybe you've got issues at home, come get on your knees, get right before him, then sing. The scriptures tell us when you come to worship and recognize somebody has something against you, put down your sacrifice, go and be reconciled, then come. And Maybe what you need to do is get up out of your seat when we stand in a minute and you need to walk across the auditorium and you take a brother and sister by the hand and say, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Would you forgive me? And be reconciled. Then you come to worship. Or maybe things at home are not right. The scriptures say in 1 Peter 3, 7, says very clearly, husbands, love your wives. 
And it says, husbands, understand your wives. Live in an understanding way as with a weaker vessel, granting her honor as a fellow heir of grace so that your prayers may not be hindered. The scriptures say, if you've got an issue with your spouse, God didn't even hear you pray. So before you worship in song, get right as a couple. Come get on your knees, give up idols, get close to God. Get right as a couple. And then worship. If you want to get on your knees and worship, you worship there. You want to lay before God and worship, lay before Him and worship. If you want to raise your hands and worship, do it. But the most important thing is your heart. Is your heart right before Him? Then you can worship Him. And most importantly is knowing Jesus, accepting Him for the forgiveness of your sin for eternal life. If you haven't done that and you do it now, you really, really have a chance to worship.